0: Welcome to In Scripture, everybody. Glad to be here. I want to tell you guys a little fact. Today is actually my wife and
1: I's official anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Oh, happy anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Say
0: congratulations. Um, June 21st is kind of a cool date now, if I think about it, because um, did you guys know it's the longest day of the year?
1: Yeah, because it's uh, summer solstice.
0: So it's, it's the first day of summer, longest day of the year, and it's almost nine o'clock right now, and I think you could still walk around outside and kind of see in front of you, which is pretty cool.
1: Your typical Russian would say that summer started 21 days ago.
0: Yeah. They would say, what is it? Beginning May? June. Or June? Yeah. Basically, as soon as a month starts. Yeah. Same with spring, right? March? Fall, spring, spring, December. Yeah. Everybody has different ways. I will say this, when we were in Europe, I don't know if that's when we went, maybe not, but it was 1030, and you could walk around in Paris, and it's, brighter than it is out there right now yeah it's like, i've been to it's like th- it feels like almost that seven o'clock time when it's kind of like the sun's kind of going down it's really weird and then you look at your phone and it's like 10 30 almost 11 at night and it's still
2: fully bright outside yeah anymore. the further north you are the longer it's light outside it's kind of
0: a oh. uh surreal experience but um and i the reason i brought up our anniversary today is because um i was listening to our last last podcast and um I think there was, there was a lot of ideas shared, and um, I don't know. Have you guys spoken with your wives about it yet? Did they listen to it?
1: Not yet. It just came out today, so. Oh, that is true. It's been.
3: Well, when this episode (laughs) drops, it'll be like two weeks or three weeks already. Yeah, (laughs) it'll be two weeks from now. Everybody answer yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think my wife has listened to it at all yet. But um, I listened when I was listening today. I was like, I was thinking that we we had some we we went in a lot deeper than I thought we would because Mark's questions were pretty basic. We were like, "Let me tell you something <laughs> in my seven years." <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, but going forth, I was just thinking about you know David and Abigail and uh, the, the, how cool that story was. and um I tried to think back in my life. I'm like, did we did I ever remember hearing? like about David and Abigail at all. Do you guys, have you guys had any fond memories of hearing about it?
1: Not in Sunday school. Uh, I think I might have heard a sermon on it once or twice. I don't twice, think I've ever heard it's very. It. It's not a very common topic. We did it with our
3: youth for the Trials of the Heroes. One of the days was David, and that's the story we covered. Yeah. So, But I think that was the first time I remember reading about that story, or at least maybe I've heard it before. I just never, it never, like, clicked to me or... Yeah. I mean, I don't know why there wouldn't be more sermons on it. It's such a perfect little story. Like, it's not too much. Yeah. It's just enough to like summarize and have a good moral to it, a good lesson. Well, I think
0: even for 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 relationship purposes, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that was like I think God provided like a perfect part of scripture.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Is there not a perfect
0: part of scripture? This one was like to the topic perfect, you know? But anyways, I was just I just thought it was pretty cool. you trying to jump ahead search? Verse 5. We Where's went that? over verse 5.
2: Hmm? Hmm? James 4? Yeah. yeah we oh, you over. guys did? That's
1: where we wrapped up last week. How oh, nice.
2: Where have you been? <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. So, um, and basically, James, s- same thing. There's so much information uh, packed in every two, three verses, and there's so much to think about. And when we go into James, I mean, I remember last episode we talked about um kind of those wars and fights among us and those quarrels that people have um the strife people are not only looking at others differently um but their relationships are ruined and James says it all begins with you if you have strife inside your heart in your life inside of you brewing up you will take it out on others and he mentioned some things and that we talked about um most of it is the desire for pleasure, and we talked about where that really stems from because pretty broad uh, couple words because it could mean a lot, um, but it ultimately brings to the same thing. When you have desire for pleasure, um, thinking fleshly, you will be in strife with others who aren't, and then we kind of are moving in forward into really James kind of opens up this Humility. Um, humility and what it means, and also what it means to resist and to submit. And Vlad is going to start us off with some scripture.
4: Yeah, I think I'm going to start with five, um, because it kind of ties in. <clears throat> this We're talking about here, about friendship with the world, and makes himself an enemy with God. And then I'm jumping in at verse five. A lot of
1: tough verses in there.
4: Yeah. So,
0: um, just very quickly, what did you guys, since we started with five, what kind of, um, what were you guys talking about last episode?
1: Uh, we were talking about uh, that if you, because dif- verse five is written differently uh, in different translations, like mm-hmm. King James and ESV and so forth. Um, and the overall point was that the, uh, no matter which translation you read, the final goal is for God and you to have a relationship, right? Cause, uh, here, at least in the ESV version, it says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. It seems like God is, is we know that God is a jealous God. He wants us to worship him and not other gods. In this sense, it's a good kind of jealousy, right? Mm-hmm. So the only kind of jealousy that's really allowed. Um, and so he wants our, you know, he wants us to be truly involved in him in that relationship, and not others. And I think in King James, um, I don't know if you want to read it, if you have it, Alex, opened up if you want to read it.
0: New or old? Oh, it doesn't matter. Got both of them. So old is better. Um, Lusts with envy. Yeah, old. I have uh, KJV here. It says. Um, do ye think that Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? So, yeah. So you're it in sounds jealousy. like
1: in, in that one, it sounds like you're coming. You're. It's written from the human perspective. First, mm-hmm. ESV. It seems like it's written the human from God's spirit. perspective. Yep. But it seems like they're making the same point: is that the Spirit in us, God wants us to have a relationship within us.
0: He put that into us. Yeah, mm-hmm. He put
1: that in because we're made in His image, um, and that was. What we wrapped up last night, or not last night, (laughs) last week, last episode, that's what we wrapped up with. So,
0: um, And moving into six, it says, but he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, um, verse six, if I'm not mistaken, is talking about
1: the Proverbs, right?
2: Yep. Well, so...
1: 334. Yeah, that's a reference, but mm. these exact words are not written anywhere in Scripture. Mm-hmm.
2: Verse 6 it does,
0: right? Verse 6 is written, I think you're, ta- you're, you're talking about verse the, 5.
1: Yeah, No, verse 6. Read Proverbs 3.34.
3: Okay. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble.
1: Yeah, it's uh, similar. So it's not word for word, yeah. yeah that's I I what what your it's point similar, is. but it's not word for word. But I think the overall intent is, for the most part, the same.
0: So what is James trying to open up here?
3: Why, of all things, does God resist the proud? Like, well, what is it about pride that is worse than, I don't know, what, murder? Like, what, well, okay, you know, of all the bad things, mm-hmm. God resists the proud. The proud, right.
1: Why, Why pride?
3: What's so inherently bad about that?
1: I want to say, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go with this, but just given a context of what we're studying, I want to say it goes back to James four one, is that is what causes quarrels. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
0: Dude, you guys, Would you guys agree pride is one of those harder things to overcome as a sin?
3: Yeah, I think for sure. On the surface level, maybe you can a Christian can slowly start getting better at it on a, like a superficial level. But I think on the inside, pride is something that is a very hard thing to, I mean, all sin is difficult to push over as long as we're on this earth, the devil's always trying to bring us down. But pride, even internally for a believer, I think it's hard to resist, you know, or, or it's hard for us to humble ourselves. even. You know, we were talking about even with like marriage it's hard sometimes to listen to your wife or to listen to your husband that I think that's a that's an instance of pride you know as opposed to humbling yourself you're proud you wouldn't really think about it that way unless someone points it out but those are little moments where pride is a really difficult thing so yeah I, I would agree that it is a really yeah. hard sin to to battle against
0: I would agree to say that um that's kind of why I brought it up is I think humbling yourself and pride is goes hand in hand because that's the only way a sinner is in true repentance, right?
4: Um, Me and Serge were talking about this last time, but I made that point that pride, in my opinion, is the root of all sin. It's like the basic. It's almost like the foundation. All other sins are kind of built on pride because pride means that you are self-centered, that the world revolves around you, and anything you do, the sin is usually centered around yourself. For instance, envy you envy another person because they have something that you do not have and that you want to have mm-hmm. that's about you um adultery you do something that you want you know you cheat you do something else that you want out of your flesh lying you know anything that all the sins that we can name usually the root of it is we want something to gain from something and pride
3: well, the, vi- the very first sins that Man ever exactly. made, Adam yeah. and Eve. Adam what and was Eve. it? It was a sin of pride. You know, and the right. devil told him you yeah. could be like God. You, you'll be so much smarter, so much wiser. You'll know more. You'll yeah. you'll be stronger. He gave him that idea of their self, their inherent self, becoming greater. And yeah, that, and Lucifer was and the first to bring right? him down. And Lucifer did the same yeah. thing. Yeah, he his fell, sin was exactly right. the same. Yep. He wanted to be more because he himself was.
0: And I think problem. pride is the only thing that gets in the way, like I said, of, of a sinner repenting. Is yeah, because, because you have to
4: humble yourself. You've got to see where you are in front of God's eyes, and you must lower yourself. So I think James yep. focuses on pride quite a bit throughout his
1: book. So would you say pride is just—so what would you say?
4: How would you define pride? Well, you elevate yourself higher than what you really are in reality, in God's eyes. Okay. Right?
2: hmm Above all else. Really?
3: Yeah, I think just pride is putting yourself first in any context. Mm -hmm. It's
2: not just God, you know. Um, Alex, to answer your initial question, what do you think he's, what point is he trying to make? I don't think it's about pride. I think pride plays a big role here, but I think the point he's trying to make is in the beginning of verse 6, he kind of gives it off saying, but he gives more grace. So he's talking, yes, about us as sinners. And I think that's where he's leading off with verses 4 through 10. He's talking about our wretched condition and how we ought to turn to him. But here he begins off and talking about God where he gives more grace. Yeah, we are sinners. We are sinful in our nature. Um, mm-hmm. And we, therefore, I think if you look at verse 4 where he says that um, friendship with the world is enmity with God, and like, you know, it's like saying you can't, you can either do one or the other because God is at war with the world. And therefore, if you are a friend with the world, therefore you become an enemy of God. And then so he kind of gives, it's like the bad news, right? When we talk about, um, when we share the gospel, we give them the bad news first, but then we give them the good news. So he's saying, here's, here's the bad news that our actions and the things that even he's pointing out here, I think specifically to the church saying that these things are, rooted in sin and therefore um it leads us to be in such a position before god where we are enemies with him um and then he says that's why he goes on to talk about how he yearns jealously for us because he has this relationship with us and then he concludes the good news is Mm -hmm. but he gives more grace so he's talking about god's grace and therefore he says god gives god opposes the proud yes the proud are are you know we pride is an issue but gives grace to the humble. The but there is an important mm-hmm. factor because it's talking about him giving grace. It's talking about God, not our sinful um, position. So therefore, he starts talking about how do we then, um, if we have sinned, how then do we, uh, uh, what's it called, restore a relationship with God? How we, how do we come back to him? And I think it's important the fact that he does point out again. I'm pointing it to it again, but where he talks about he gives more grace is the fact that we do have a way to come back. He's elevating God on such a pedestal where at first, I think, yes, we are prideful, we are sinful, and he lays it out clearly how wrong it is, but then he also puts God above that. He says, even though we are sinful, God is gracious, and he's gracious to the point where he gives even more grace than what our sin um, has led up to, so therefore he covers our sin with his grace. Yeah. Yeah. I would
0: agree. What I what I really meant to what I was asking was, is this an opening? Like is is verse six, you're you're absolutely correct. He talks about he gives more grace, but is this an opening to uh humility? You know, that's kind of what I was asking. Like because if you're proud, you don't have humility. Mm-hmm. So God resists the proud and then says, but gives grace to the humble. So then out of that he goes into verses seven through ten. Maybe my question. I think
2: think he talks about like seven through ten, how to achieve that grace, how to how to get that favor from God or that grace. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we don't deserve it, but he there. um, The Bible does tell us that in order for us to be forgiven of our sins, we have to repent, and to repent means to turn away. Yeah. Yeah. Verse seven
1: says to submit, right? Submit yourselves to God.
0: Um, When I saw verse seven, I don't know. Would you guys agree with me? I think. It says, therefore, submit to God and resist the devil. So I see two key words is submit and resist. And when I was kind of thinking about it, it's like, um, it's making you do two complete opposite things, right? Submitting and resisting obviously are two opposites, but you can only do one towards one side. I don't think you can submit, you know, foolishly as humans, we think we can submit to both in a little bit and get away with it, but... I don't think there's any of that. I think it says you either you need to submit to God and resist the devil. So resisting the devil and submitting to God is the only way. You can't submit to God and submit a little bit to the devil and resist the devil at the same time. There's no in between. You can't
4: have two masters. Can't
0: right? But but kind of where I'm going with this is just submit and resist are two opposite things, and we need to remember that every day and everything we do. um, James kind of reminds us here that we have to. submit only to god and resist only the devil
1: i want to emphasize the fact that he james calls the people the church to Uh submit this is a call to action that you have to make on an individual level this is not something that the pastor can do for you this is not something that your wife or your family member can do for you this is not something that god could even do for you this is something that you have to do yourself submit to god and resist the devil Uh, it's a call to action really Yep. And once you start one, and it should naturally come to do the other to the other. For example, like if you submit to God, resisting the devil should come naturally. Not going to be perfect at it, especially at first, right? Uh, but that should be your goal is to be able to resist the devil. Uh, same thing if you do, unfortunately, if you do decide to submit to the devil, you're going to want to resist God. Right, that's that's how it plays out. Like you said, you can't submit and resist both at the same time. One or the other. You either submit to one and resist the other. That's all there is to it. And of course, obviously, the goal God wants, like we were read in you know verse five, is to have that relationship with He wants you to submit to Him and He wants you to resist the devil because He wants you to. I guess I'll mention it later once we yeah, talk and, about yeah. And to
0: those to those who um, sorry, Vlad, didn't mean
1: to cut you up. But to those who
0: resist. God. Ultimately, they're submitting to the mm-hmm. devil.
1: There's like, yeah. like, you said, there's no other way. Well, I don't you think can't, you can't resist both at the same time.
2: Well, I don't, you, think I, don't, you can. I don't think you can have one without the other. And I think right a, a lot of times I've heard sermons and different um, denominations preach different things, but a lot of them will talk about how we ought to resist the devil, and they focus on you must resist the devil. You must some some go a little too far and talk about like how you have to call out and um the devil's name and be like in jesus name i cast you out you know i'm like i'm just saying that they they preach one thing but they don't preach the other you gotta have both yeah and and right you, you can't submit to god without resisting the devil because he's he's again talking about our initial condition right mm-hmm. where we are um friends with the world and enemies with god and so therefore we are already kind of on the devil's side so in order for us to come to god we have to submit to him first and then resist the devil. And I think it's important also to note that the order that you have to do it. You have to submit to God because you can't resist the devil by yourself. He's the one that will give you the strength to resist mm-hmm. the devil. And only then will he flee away. He's not gonna flee away because I, Mark, you know, resisted the devil. He he doesn't he's not scared of me. Correct. You know what I mean? Like we're technically would you say that we're below him?
0: he's more powerful apart, apart from Christ apart, apart from Christ. Christ. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, he's got no reason to fear us if we're, if we don't have, if we're not yeah. with God.
3: See, and Mark brings up a really good point because this whole, if you, if you skip the submitting to God and just try to spend your whole life resisting the devil, you're, you're going to lose that battle every di- every time because you yourself are not strong enough. But the more important thing is that this isn't a one time thing. I think every single day we have to wake up and submit to God all over again. It's like, because, because I was going to ask you guys a question, you know, we, we read, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and it ends with, and he will flee from you. And on one hand, you're like, wow, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Get rid of the devil permanently. But we know that's not true. We know that just because I got saved today does not mean the devil is not with me tomorrow. He is still trying to bring me down. So he doesn't flee from us in this lifetime. So we have to understand that submitting to God is not just a one-time thing. It's every single day because the devil's not going to stop trying to bring us down till the moment our last breath is has has left our body, the devil will be trying to bring us down. So submitting to him is something that should come first and foremost every single day. And then with that submission to him, we can resist him on a daily basis, or we can we at least have a fighting chance because now Christ is in us.
4: So what does it mean that he will flee from you then?: To me, when I read, "He will from, flee from you" means that we are more powerful than him. Christ in us is more powerful. He, we with God. With right. God, we have the victory. Satan is already he's lost the battle. He's already lo- um, lost the war. He lost the war. It reminds me kind of history when we would go over in high school, right? If you guys remember, World War II. The Allies already won the war. They've signed the treaty. They're, they were victorious over the war. And then there were certain islands in the Pacific that were still occupied by Japanese, and then they were still fighting months, years after the war was already done. Mm. Like, they they already lost the war, and you was still fighting. It kind of reminded me of that, that, that truth that Satan has lost, and he's just harassing us and constantly trying to bring us down, where he... He um, has lost the war. He's powerless. But to to agree with you guys and to agree with you too is he will
0: be back. Yeah. It's kind he of yep, He comes back. And the reason I say that is because um, I was thinking about this whole time, I was thinking about Matthew 4. Yep. Um, and because uh, I was going to ask you guys, we never have enough time, but I was going <laughs> to ask you guys, I was like, what's one of the ways we can resist the devil? And what's one of the ways we can draw to God? Because ultimately that's what James calls us to do. And I think the strongest example of both is simply Jesus in the time when he was tempted in the desert. Scripture. and <clears throat> Exactly. So uh, we know that it said that Jesus led up to the spirit, into the wilderness, and to be tempted by the devil. And we notice that devil doesn't just come up to him once, say something, um, uh, Jesus resists him, and he leaves and it's done. He keeps coming back. He keeps coming back, and what he keeps doing is, and the only way he's... Um, being fought off or resisted is through Scripture. That's exactly what Jesus does every single time. He says it is written, and you know, for example, verse, um, verse four. But he answered and said, "It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of from the mouth of God." And the way Jesus answered every single time, the devil fled and came back. Um, he answered with the word, and in, in First Peter it talks about. Um, it talks about saying that uh, verse eight, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, be uh, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seek, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. That's the way to resist him. But going along to what you said, to what James writes, submitting to God is the ultimate first step, because without God, we can't resist him. Without his word, we can't resist. Submitting
2: to God is also meaning to resist the devil because when you submit to him, you have to submit to his law and submit to his ways. And he calls us to specifically live a holy life, which then to turn away from sin, to turn away from evil. So the act of submission Mm -hmm. is actually also, uh, I guess, a resistance. Yeah.
1: Just to, I know this phrase is tossed around a lot, submit yourselves to God, but what does that actually
2: mean? Um, well, I'm glad you asked that, Serge. <laughs> to be obedient.
4: <laughs> I think if those For,
2: who love me obey my commandments. Yeah. It's to humble
4: yourself. It reminds me, I think Mark will um, appreciate this example. It's like when you come to a gym and you hire a coach or something, right? And you're like, <laughs> I want to get into shape. And then he's like, need okay, do this. Gym. Any example, you know? and you Little need to known do,
0: fact, Mark is a personal trainer. <laughs> like five <laughs>
4: years is. ago, dude. <laughs> That's why I brought it up. <laughs> the trainer would train. UFC so, dream. So what I was saying, you have a, you hired the trainer. You're like, I want to be fit. But you don't take his advice. You're like, I'm going to do this much reps. I'm going to do this exercise. I'm going to do that. I'm going to eat that. this food. I'm going to eat this You'd food. You'd be
3: surprised how many people do that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're paying me a lot of money and you don't want to listen to me?
4: Yeah, exactly. And then you stand there and they're like, Hey, listen, if you just submit to my program, if you just submit to the to, to a proven formula that I have and I'm willing to give you, if you just humble yourself and you just listen to somebody who's smarter than you in this area, let's say fitness, once you submit yourself to that and his leadership, that's where the gains begin. That's where you have progress. And I, it's kind of like not a best example, but it's kind of the same thing with God, We must first realize who we are in front of God, humble ourselves, lower ourselves, lower our ego, and say, God, you are in charge. Mm -hmm. I am not. That's That's the first step. That's
1: the key part I was looking for, is actually putting yourselves lower. Mm
4: -hmm. Right, Right. humble.
1: Humbling yourself. Right. It's not just, okay, humble myself means I just ask God for forgiveness. That's not what it means, right? It's realizing who you are, putting yourself even lower, than what you
3: are
2: Surge with all the good questions what is yeah. pride
3: going with that example going though, exactly against what pride is going with that example though it's a perfect example I think because just because you listen to that person or just because you submit to God doesn't mean the work is done like you still have to put that work in you know just because yeah I agree this nutrition is this trainer they know what's best for me you still got to be the one who's willing to get up and go like you got to work at it you know and there's gonna be days where it's hard there's gonna be days where there's a lot of resistance but you got to keep going. And but, same thing with this. Like, yeah, I wake up and I submit to God, but I still need to go out into this world. And like, I need to work. I need to be willing to like, if a something bad comes on the radio, I need to be willing to turn it off. You know, like it seems like a dumb little thing, but th- that's the way the devil hooks you. You know, if you see something you're not supposed to see on Instagram, that's where you're supposed to really quick swipe off and just get out of there because that's where he hooks you. You know, there's these little things that yes, you're submitting to God, but you need to be willing to fight. Like you need to be willing to take that step and push against the devil where there's that active resistance. It's a perfect
4: segue to the next verse. I don't think Mark was done. Unless Mark has hey, I of, got well, something I was like, to say. Too. Come on, guys.
2: Go, going, on, going on with the topic of a continuation, uh, I think sometimes when you achieve your goals, you can't be lax. You know, you you have to continue because it's like, you know, if you go again with the bodybuilding, you know, you got your weight goals in line, you know, your muscle mass is on point. And then you're like, I'm going to go celebrate. And then you get married and gain 50 no, pounds. I'm <laughs> going to go celebrate and eat this huge like cake. I was going to say cheesecake, but I don't know. Um, but going on to the next verse, like you said, one thing that I wanted to point out here is, um, that I agree that a, cont- a continual submission towards before God and a resisting of the devil is what we ought to do in our life. But I think here in the context, it, he is talking about a full repentance and turning away in order so that way we may gain God's grace. And I think it's, it's like a, a one-time repentance, whereas I, I do believe and I, I agree that it's a continuation that we have to have in our life. But here, I think later on where he's talking about Crying before God because mm-hmm. of your sin. It's where we Christians ourselves are not called to this mournful, dreadful state. And the devil fleeing is a uh, liberation because we were friends with the world and emity with God. And then when we submit to, to God, sin. yeah, exactly, we are free now. And I think Romans talks about how we are no longer slaves to sin. And so there is a liberation where we can um with joy submit to God and do things. But yes, we ought to be guardful. We ought to be watchful of what we are, I mean, what we do, uh where we are with our state um with our walk with God.
1: Yeah, which Amen. like Mark, I mean, sorry, Vlad already said, this really ties into verse 8 because like we already said verse 7, submitting yourself to God is the first step, mm-hmm. right? Resisting the devil is the other step. Mm-hmm. There's more steps. Right In verse eight, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's still several things to do. And this is all part of the process of sanctification, right? God wants us to be holy, like you already said, Mark, right? Uh, Thinking either Exodus or Leviticus, he says, be holy because I am holy, right? Mm -hmm. We're all trying to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, um, which scripture calls us to do. And for to do that, it means to submit yourself to God. It means to uh, resist the devil. That means to constantly draw near to God. It means being indulged in Scripture, indulged in prayer. Um, it's not just a one-time thing. It's a everyday lifestyle. Would do you, you think agree? these
2: are separate, or do you think that it could potentially be under submitting to God as an umbrella? Yeah, drawing near, I think, is part of submitting as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's definitely. I, I don't know if you say like, like a higher That was my question. Thing,
0: how do or? you draw near What does drawing near to God mean? <laughs> and I think one of the notes I wrote down was it's kind of starting or opening um beginning that relationship with God. And a lot goes into having a relationship with God. The most important thing is um communication with God. And I was going to bring up Psalm uh which one uh Psalm 27 verse 8 uh when thou saidest seek ye face my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, I will seek. So seeking God's face um, is same going along with um, draw near to God. The one way you do that is by prayer.
1: Well, we talked about that God wants a relationship with us, right? Back in verse 5. Yeah. So what? think about a relationship. What is that, right? It's two people with like interests. Communication. Communication, right? doing what's best for the other party. Right.
0: And humbling yourself is one thing we talked about.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's the way I, and you guys can, you know, pitch in, correct me if I'm wrong, the way I see a relationship, you know, how, how does one have a relationship with God? And, you know, this whole idea of drawing near to him and he will draw near to you is the same way. God talks to us most of the time, uh, maybe not most, but a lot of the time is through scripture, right? We talk to God a lot of the prayer. times is through prayer. There's our two-way communication. Yep. You can't just only pray, right? Cuz how do you know what to pray for then? Only your needs? But there's so many so much more things that God wants you to pray about. Seek his answers. He want he calls us to pray with thanksgiving. He want uh he wants us to make our requests known. He wants us to pray with forgiveness and so many other things. He wants to tell us so many other things, right? Don't just rely on God to speak to you in your dreams, um uh, you know, that's a whole different subject. Don't just rely on God to just speak through uh, pastors or sermons or whatnot. A lot of times he's going to talk to you one-on-one through when, when you're talking through scripture. At least that's my experience. I don't know about you guys. You guys can pitch in. But when we talk about drawing near to God and establishing a relationship with him, that's what I envision is you putting away all the things that can hurt that relationship, right? Meaning specifically resisting the devil. And you indulge yourself in scripture, the lifestyle. Like for me... Uh, Romans 12, 1 and two is really the most is a really good uh, kind of supporting fundamental verse for this is tra- transforming of your mind when you um, accept Christ when you submit yourself to God you change you're a new creation right you're putting off your old stuff and you're putting on a new self uh, which is you know the, the holiness of Christ so that's why I envision this relationship with with God what do you guys think
2: um, I'll go last. Um I wanted to
4: just I'm going to answer your question but I want to just back up a little bit right here resist the devil and he will flee from you resisting alone is not enough you can be on Instagram you're like oh you're resisting temptations Why does Instagram keep coming in though? because <laughs> it's a big topic of our day it's right popular in our day any any temptation take, take right talk. take any TikTok's temptation works. you can resist but that's not enough is it cuz it'll come back exactly and it'll what does it say back. what does it say next Draw drawing near it. to God. That's the next step. That's the next step in the formula. You can't just resist because he will keep coming back, and you will eventually you'll be worn out to the point where you will fall. So that, that's the next word. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's interesting I wanted to bring up another point. Um, <laughs> and he, and he, um, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In the Old Testament, there was no drawing near to God, right? Mountain of Sinai, do not come close or you will die. Only the Levites did, right? Or Moses, the burning oh. bush, the oh, burning bush, right?
1: Well, only the Levites were allowed into service
4: in the temple. Right, and but go on. How? Yeah. how, how right, so how like, were like they the
2: allowed is the question.
4: So the normal person, Grace, right,
2: mm? could Grace not.
4: And mercy, washing themselves,
0: Clint, washing your hands. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think which I think, is
2: next. Yeah, I think he he's kind of building on top of it where right. he's talking about submitting to God. How do you submit to God? Well, here's how you go. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Well, what does that really mean? That means you have to cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And then I'm thinking to myself, I'm not clean to begin with. How am I supposed to cleanse my hands and purify my heart? um and he's calling us specifically sinners and then he's calling you double-minded and then he goes on to continue how do we wash ourselves we don't wash ourselves it is god who washes us so then verse nine he opens up more i think it's like he's going step by step and he's kind of like opening it up
4: yeah and when you draw near to god it kind of flows in you he will draw near to you and then cleanse your hands how will you know your hands
2: are dirty well, I think you have to cleanse your hands. You have to cleanse yourself before you come to God. If you look at it from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, yeah. Exa- I'm just taking like from yeah. the Old Testament example. When the priests had to come before God, mm-hmm. they had to actually wash themselves. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying, draw near to God and draw- God will draw near to you. Well, God can't stand before something that's not holy or something right. that's not pure. And so therefore you have to be cleansed. So right. then he, can, he opens that up. Well, in order to do that, you have to cleanse your hands and purify your heart.
0: Would it be in context to say oh, washing of the hands is physical and outwardly, and cleansing your heart, or cleanse your hands is outwardly or physical, you sinners, and purify your heart is internal. Yeah, I think you can cleanse. Yep. You can cleanse your hands, but you can't purify your heart.
4: It, what I was trying to say, Old Testament, only God can. Old Testament, God, you were not able to get in the presence of God. New Testament is the other way. In Hebrews four sixteen, He calls us to come to the uh, throne of grace. Right, mm-hmm. remember that. So that flips. So kind of what I was saying here, draw near to God. As soon as you draw near to God, you will immediately see your sin. You'll see yourself. There's an example that I always comes to mind when I when I think about this. James one. It's like when a when a shepherd is looking out his window into a field. It's a green field, right? And he's got sheep. Different animals. Close white. your eyes and imagine. Imagine this. Unless you're <laughs> driving and listening to <laughs> yeah, this, <don't> do that. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. <laughs> yeah. So it's a green field, right? Pasture. Mm-hmm. There's there's sheep, white wool, and you're like, wow, that wool is so white. That's like amazing. And then the the shepherd goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, and the and the field is covered with snow. Immediately, there's a contrast. The snow is pure white. And the and the wool, the white wool that seemed like it was white and clean, is now is in contrast with the snow. You can see how dirty it is. I get it. That's a good one. Bro. Yeah, Man, that's pretty that's good. Deep, wow. bro,
3: that was good. Wow, so, I didn't see that coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> our our room is now going to have a painting, and it's going to be <laughs> we're going to have field? sheep on the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a field of snow,
3: <laughs> like and a white. Sunday school room. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, our faces on the
4: sheep, <laughs> with our birthday under it, a star. So my point is the closer we get to God, the more we see our sin yep. and our faults. Mm-hmm. And that's where the purification, clean your hands, double minded. Let's get into the purification, yeah.
0: verses nine and ten.
1: Pure uh verses eight you mean?
0: Yeah, eight, nine, ten.
1: Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Um nine and ten is is kinda different. You wanna go on to nine, ten too?
0: Yeah, I think we should.
1: Okay. Uh so 9 and, ten, and uh be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to uh mourning and y- your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you. Um so just to stem off of verse 8 I I kind of see the um, what you were trying to say here Alex that cleanse in your hands you sinners and purify your hearts so there's a kind of a physical and a spiritual aspect Yeah here.
0: that's kind of what I was because
1: just you can't throwing a curveball. You can't go on physically sinning as a normal part of your day when you're a Christian, right? Right. Part of resisting the devil is, you know, act, submitting yourself to God. Like you already said, is accepting his commandments and his commandment says this, this, this is sin. And you can't continue, willingly continue on doing those mm. things. If you are a reborn Christian, right? Is, is, do you guys,
4: is I, I feel, do I don't know.
2: And this is just like my thoughts at the time. Um, I think one thing that I'm thinking of is when you wash your hands is you you put yourself away from it. Like when you're doing a dirty job, when you're done, you wash your hands. You're, like, you're pretty much um, kind of stopping what you were doing. And then the purification of your heart is also um, at the very root, right? Because you just stop yourself from doing like you said physically or you stop what you're doing um, as far as sinning, but then you also have to be purified from all that you've done up to this point. So it's like a... a you not only have to, like, repent and have God cleanse you, but you also have to stop what you're doing. Similar to kind of like where Pilate, he says, I'm not guilty, where it's like I'm wash- washing washes my hands. his hands, hands free of blood, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Where he's saying, like, I have no part in this. Same thing here. We should wash our hands. We should, like, have no part with sin. But just because we stop sinning, that doesn't mean that we can draw close to God. We still have mm-hmm. to be purified because he's the one who has to cleanse us from the inside. Yep. I I think
0: those words are important because James is making a connection with with, uh, the Jews here. He's giving them examples or phrases that they do fully understand. is the washing of the hands. Um, There's that little connection there. uh, Why do you think he goes
1: on to say you're double-minded?
0: Double-minded I think we spoke of earlier in the past chapters um, because... Oftentimes he's he's bringing into account here that you can have that you can think both ways, or you think that both ways are are accomplishable, or both things are accomplishable either by you, or that you can have a you can have a submitting to God and and submitting a little to the devil. You know what I mean?
3: Well, a big a big part of chapter one we talked about was you know not just being hearers of the word but doers. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm assuming he was writing this because that was an issue. You know that there were people yeah. who heard the word who Maybe they understood what the word was and they understood who Christ was. And maybe they even on a superficial level, they believed in it. But it's one thing to just know those things. It's another thing to do those things, to be a doer of his word. So maybe that's what he's referring to. These people are, or, you know, cause he's, he's writing to the 12 tribes. So it's, it's a pretty broad spectrum, but he's saying, don't be double-minded in the sense that, it's, it's what we've been talking about this whole time that you can't just do one thing without the other. You can't just Chapter submit to God. Right. Yeah. You can't Chapter just one. submit to God and not resist the devil. You can't just, like Mark was saying just right now, you can't cleanse your hands and not purify your heart. Like it goes hand in hand together. So you can't be double-minded. It's one thing. You choose one path. By not choosing God, you're automatically choosing the other side. And by choosing the other side, you're automatically resisting God. Like there is no middle ground You have to be willing to acknowledge your sin. You know, and we're talking about this whole cleansing yourself. In chapter one, we read that perfect imagery example of the man who sees his own filth in the mirror. You know, we read in uh, chapter one, verse 22, and a little bit forward. But he, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That that right there is what what I think he's talking about. These double-minded people who they know the truth, they know what Christ did, and yet they do things differently. Or, or there's, there's always that like Hypocrite. middle ground, hypocrites, whatever you want to call it. They're always trying to find that gray middle ground. They're trying to be prideful and believers, which won't work. You know, they're trying to have strife and war amongst each other and be believers, which doesn't work. These are all, he's just, he keeps bringing up these examples of double-minded people And I think here he's just kind of like he's at the peak of this whole message where he's like, you guys need to repent and stop being double-minded in any aspect of it. You can't be double-minded. You can't, you know, be with sin and with God. You have to submit to him, cleanse yourself inside and outside. And that's it. Like no more, no more of this jumping around. Pick one and stick with it.
0: Yeah. Chapter one, verse eight, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I think that's, that's where I was getting that. Mm -hmm that memory that we did talk about
4: double-mindedness for a while. Right. Verse 10, Mm -hmm. humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you.
0: Well, verse 9 I wanted to cover, too, a little bit. is, um, Because, like, what's the significance? Why does James paint this picture of, you know, uh, lament and mourn and weep, you know? And what is he? What is he saying when he says, "Let your laughter be turned to mourning"? Why is laughter kind of a different subject here than um, as opposed to mourning and weeping? And um, I I was kind of like gathering my thoughts for this too. I think the most important thing is when you humble yourself and realize when you see the sheep in the field between the snow. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) When you see. Remember that. When you see how how. much sin and how how dirty you are as a person right all these sins and you see um the gravity of the sin yeah all you can do is lament and mourn and weep that's what brings ultimate um uh that repentance right when you repent you are mourning you are weeping because you realize who you are how bad you were how terrible you are and how much you disrespected god you know your creator but then he kind of paints this picture and you guys can join me on this and, and interrupt anytime. But he says that let your laughter be turned to mourning. You know, why Why is laughter all of a sudden this different thing? And I think it goes, cause laughter is usually for somebody that has a good time and not worried about looking at anything serious. He's just going personal through, pl- got, pleasure. Got a yeah, James is kind of like painting this picture.
1: <clears throat> yeah. yeah, go ahead. So my thought is just a little different though, kind of on the same lines and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> So when I was reading this verse, I was like, what does this mean? Because it seems so random, right? You're talking about cleansing, you're talking about purifying, submitting, and then all of a sudden it's like, be wretched and mourn, right? Or lament. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's like, I'm turning to Christ. Shouldn't I be happy? I have eternal salvation now. You know, shouldn't I be happy? My sins are forgiving. And... After some research, I guess it kind of made sense to me. What, how I understand this is, what he's calling again. Remember, the audience here is Christian people, right? Saved people that have already supposedly accepted Christ and have seems like they have gone astray, or they have some some things that they need to work on inside themselves. It seems like they're it's flipped of what they consider good and evil, right? It seems like they find laughter and joy and evil rather than God. And whenever you said, like, something serious as, you know, salvation and holiness and obedience to God, to them, that's like, I don't want to talk about that. That's so sad.
0: Right. When you're in a state of laughter, you're not thinking about lamenting or mourning. For me, me it's not just,
1: it's just not thinking about it. It's like, where do you find joy in? Right. For us, we should find joy in in God. But here, it seems like these people are finding joy in sin. Hmm. Right that specific kind just of just interrupt and focus.
4: All right. So yeah, just <laughs> No, no, no. Yeah. I agree. The I listeners agree.
1: can't see you raising your
3: hand. Yeah. You know that,
4: right? right yeah, right here, right here. Now, I'm just letting you know I'm next. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we, we start, a start video. <laughs> yeah, let's start a video. Um, So I was going to say, I do agree with you, Serge. That's a really good point. Laughter turn into mourning. We could look at it from another way. If somebody's taking sin lightly, right? So if someone's laughing, like, oh, pff, I'm not going to do that. Yes. I was thinking about that too. Mm -hmm. And
1: like a lot of um, shows that we think like are kind of innocent, but not necessarily, you know, uh, spiritually beneficial for us. Mm. Um, Like, I don't know about you guys. I remember watching the old school version of Superbook. Has anyone ever watched that before?
4: You bring that up a lot. Dude.
1: When the new one came, the new it's like one me came out. Me Disney all the time. I am a Disney child. Uh, Disney, a good one, right? Supposedly, it's got good morals in it, at least back then. Supposedly, it has good morals. But right now, as an adult, when I watch watch them, there are so many hidden messages that me as a kid it just like completely blew my mind. I never thought about them, never noticed them, and everything. Right, and my parents didn't notice them. Well, there's a language barrier. But besides the fact. Uh, we're like, it's just a cartoon. Huh? It's, it's fine. The kids are. So, so like what I was getting <laughs> at. Take it lightly. But then at the same time, there's like, there's such a deep hidden message there that can impact a child for the rest of their life. Okay. Now, go ahead. You have my permission <laughs> to talk.
4: Yes God. yes, God. No, what I was saying casually, if you say to a young person, you should abstain from relationships till you're married. You shouldn't watch R-rated movies. You know, like sins that we take lightly. Laughter, like, like, I'm not going to do that. Or that's not sin. That's not a big deal. If I go in an R-rated movie, it's not a big deal. If I'm, you know, using social media, or doing stuff like that, you know. But laughter turned into mourning. So we're taking sin casually, and he's saying, "No, sin mm-hmm. is a big deal."
0: Right. Agreed. Do you agree and, with that? And and have you ever no. seen a prayer of a prayer of I'd repentance? Like, let's hear it, Mark. Have you raise you ever your seen, hand, Mark. Have you no. ever seen a prayer of repentance and somebody's laughing? I don't think the laughing is ever there. It's all, like I said, like Mark is giving me, let's get back into the context. That's why the next
4: verse is humble yourself.
0: Right. So lamenting and mourning is the natural reaction to realizing who you are. And that's why he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning, you know, and then your joy to gloom. And then he says, and how do you do that? By humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up.
3: And he will lift you up not not those pleasures that you thought brought you joy not those pleasures that you thought brought you true laughter and happiness lift humble yourself to him and he will lift you up i don't think he's saying that those like that's your forever your state of like life is supposed to be mourning and weeping no, and gloom no. he's saying do that to your sinful past do that because you you understand finally how filthy you are and once you do that you can accept Christ and he will lift you up personally. And now you're going to be lifted up in him only. Your joy is going to be coming through him. Your laughter is through him. It's a whole other level of happiness and joy and peace in your heart. I want to hear what Marx has to say because
1: the look on his face is
3: like, we contraband. we got this no. all wrong. I don't know if no. I'm <laughs> saying anything right. I'm
1: just it seems <laughs> like we got this all wrong. This. He's like, just you guys,
4: He's just going to go down the search. Here's where you are we wrong. don't
2: have cameras, I, that's not the look that I was giving. Just
1: raise your hand. No, no, no.
2: Raise your hand. If whatever was on my face, I was thinking along to what you guys were saying, but then also contemplating some of the verses that I was thinking about. What you got? Sure. Spill it. Um. Spill it.
3: All
1: of it.
2: (laughs) He's
3: just being humble.
2: We missed you. I want to be like, ha, ha, (laughs) but (laughs) it's, I agree. Like he is writing to Christians, but I think James is having a similar approach here as John does. in first John, where he draws a clear black line and there's no gray. And I think he's pointing out where if you have sinned, you should repent from your sins. And it's actually very convicting, because when we were reading chapter 2, I was just looking back at part, some, some of the things that James has been talking about. When he's talking about the sin of partiality, and how we've talked about that. And for me, like myself, I was convicted of it in the fact where I may actually have or would have shown partiality to someone. Maybe I still will without realizing it, but that itself is a sin. Um, but then he's talking about like quarrels that are actually coming between, uh, members, but he doesn't call them like, oh, you babes, oh, you pups, you know, my little children Mm -hmm. don't do this thing. He goes out on the offensive and he says, you sinners. Um, he calls them and and, cause he's saying that you guys are enemies with God. When you guys do this, you guys are sinners because you're fighting amongst yourselves. He's pointing it out. He's pointing out sin in a very harsh way. Um, so yes, it is towards um, Christians, but like I was thinking even an example where he says, you know, you were killing. I'm like, what are you talking about? These guys are Christians? What are they talking about? Killing in the very beginning of chapter four, where you guys hatred. are, you, you desire and you do not have, so you murder.
1: Yeah, I talked about hatred back then, yeah.
2: Yeah, um, and then so I think here uh, verse 10 um, is kind of, if you look at, Uh, verse six that we talked about, God opposes. So he says, but he gives more grace. And so how does he give more grace? And then, so he goes on to explain, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here, like, if you imagine, like he puts in brackets, right? What does it mean God gives grace to the proud and and opposes the humble or how to actually be humble? Because then verse 10, where he's talking about, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I think it's tying between uh, verse six and verse 10, this inner, conversation that he's having. He's kind of explaining how you ought to even do that. And I think verse nine, I don't know, like for me personally, I don't think it's laughing at sin um, or laughing at the thought of sin. I think they were just merry and joy. And um, like we've talked about already, where they were proud in a sense where they were living for themselves. And so therefore they had joy and were receiving joy from satisfying themselves. All these sins that we talk about where they were fighting and quarreling because you didn't ask and how, how they desire, uh, specifically verse um, three, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions, where they were desiring things for themselves and they were living in this um, sensual lifestyle where they were focusing on themselves up to, up to this point. And he's strictly calling them out and calling them, he's not like being nice about it, but he's calling them out as sinners and he's telling them to repent from this. And how do you do this? Because you have to what does it mean to repent? It is to realize who you are, but then also to come before God and to humble yourself before him, weeping with tears, crying over your own sins. It's not like, yeah, I think there is a differentiation between, they weren't laughing at sin, they weren't looking at me like, haha, that's funny, but I think they were living for themselves without realizing, and so they just had joy. And he says, that joy that you have, that you're it's a source your, of joy. Yeah, your selfish indulgence. It's exactly what Mark was saying. You know, he's the one who will actually give you the joy. He's the one who will fulfill you and fill you up.
1: Yep. Yep. That's what I was going on. I might have maybe not made that point, but yeah. I was getting there. <laughs> all these interruptions. Uh, <laughs> he just <his> hand. summarized <laughs> what
3: all four of us were saying, though, you know. Yeah. So, good job, I know. It was, it was Good think you're like, here, man.
2: It, no, it's just like... I I I like pick certain, sometimes you focus on certain words and you're like, how dare you? <laughs> like you, you turn to a Greta. You and know? this part, uh, <laughs> this last part, uh,
1: how dare you. in verse 10, where well, he says, how will before the Lord and he will, ex-, well, mine says he will exalt you. I think in yours, it says he will lift you up. Mm-hmm. Right. And to me, that speaks, um, if you read all the scripture, uh, there's a lot of verses about how we are the heirs to the kingdom of mm-hmm. God. Right. That is the, uh, I believe the exaltation that he's, uh, referring to is that it's it's a not just a spiritual exaltation, it's a status symbol that we are heirs to a kingdom, right? That we don't deserve, but we get it because of his grace and mercy and love if we submit to ourselves to God, right? By putting ourselves low, he exalts us to heirs to a kingdom. Yeah,
3: that's an important point to make that this is lifting us up in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. It's not something that on this earth will we will necessarily like reap the benefits of, mm-hmm. you know, because if anything, scripture tells us that if we decide to follow Christ, if we make that choice to submit to him, life is actually going to get worse for us. You know, we're going to be persecuted because of our faith in him. Life did not get easier for Paul. You know, it got worse. He was beat. He was, he was whipped. You know, things did not get easier for these men of scripture, you know, and it, and it shouldn't get easier for us. That lifting up is something that internally... I believe that we are lifted up. You know, we, we get that pure peace and joy in our heart to the point where, you know, praise the Lord, none of us have ever been whipped for our faith, but I would like to think that Paul, even in the midst of the worst of what he had to go through, he had peace in his heart. You know, tr- ultimately he had that realization that Christ brings so much more and he was exalted in him. So I'm saying like, there, I feel like there's almost there is somewhat of a, a quote unquote reward in it on this earth, but it's not the kind of reward we think of. You know, when we think of what this world has to it's offer, not our end goal. Yeah, it's it's a reward that this world people, this world wouldn't consider a reward. You know, people in this world think a reward is financial. A reward is, you know, popularity or fame or something like that. We get that reward on this earth. I think being lifted up in Him is a reward on this earth also but it's internal. It's, it's one that we understand going through the worst times of our life. I am at peace. I have joy. I have all I need because Christ is in me. But ultimately that lifting up that exaltation, that, that chance that we truly get to be with him is what is ultimately our prize at the end of this, this long fight, this long
2: race. I love how you say that, um, because it reminds me again of how verse 6 begins, but he gives more grace. I'm like thinking to myself, like just from this little study that we had, that that meaning in itself means so much, right? Because he says, but he has more grace, because even though we um, are sinners and what we ought to deserve for our behaviors and for our actions is, you know, punishment and death, but he has more grace. And so therefore, if we humble ourselves, um, to him, because he has more grace, he will exalt us or he will lift us up. And that, that just shows his grace again. And it's just beautiful. I have a, a awesome example I wanted to share. Go how for it. It kind of ties a lot of this in together. Um, the example of Christ. Philippians 2, like one of my favorite chapters, um, specifically talking about how in the beginning of even chapter 4 where there's fights within each other because they're selfish. Um, so then he begins, I'll just read one through, uh, nine. So if therefore is so if therefore is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It shows how God, how Christ himself was humble and how God exalted him as a result of that.
4: Amen.
0: Yeah, and I want to join you. Um, you, you brought Christ into this, and I want to join you with this. Um, James ends with um, calling us to... Humble ourselves, and that God will lift us up when we do. Um, calling that kind of like that, you need that repentance and uh, going to Jesus. Like Mark already said, <clears throat> Jesus was here to call for repentance. And in Luke, in Luke chapter five, um, when he's meeting Matthew, the tax collector, um, he mentions in verse thirty-two. He says clearly, "I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance." And where I'm going with this is in Matthew, um, you know, we were talking about when uh, Satan was tempting Jesus, right, this whole time. And then after after all that happened, um, Jesus began his ministry. And his first couple words of his ministry, of his uh, sermon was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus called all people to repent at all times. Um, that was his, that was one of his missions. That was why he was here also to heal, also to help, also to assist. But he ultimately obviously came here as an ultimate sacrifice for each one of us, but he had the same calling is to repent. And, um, James kind of goes into that a little bit here today because that's the, one of the most important steps I think as a Christian that you can do. And that's what scripture calls us to do. Um, and if you're, if you're, you know, thinking in, in, in your life, thinking about things you have going on, um, you might be a new Christian or you might be what James is referring to in writing to, you might be an existing Christian. You might be a member of a church. <clears throat> Maybe you didn't have a quarrel or a strife with somebody, but you see issues within you. Um, you have to resist the devil and you have to submit to God. Um, and you know, we talked about today, it is not something that you just do once, and you're good. You're covered. Although <clears throat> ultimately, yes, you do win that fight with God. The, the war has already been won. God already won. We know that. Here on earth, Satan will return. He will come back. He will keep coming back to you. So you have to resist him every day. And how you do that is by submitting to God. Um, pray for your repentance. Pray for your sins. Really open up who you are. Realize who you are. And by that, you will start that submission to God and you will draw near to him by prayer. He will answer your questions. He will teach you things from scripture. And I think that's the whole um, kind of big picture of what real Christianity is. <clears throat> and, and James is kind of here, kind of like even a pastor, right? Writing to his church. He's, he's writing to the people. This is the, the important things that we all need to work on. And he mentioned um, some of those. So we'll, we'll, end this podcast and um we'll end in prayer amen amen thank you lord for giving us this opportunity for most importantly um coming to this earth and giving each one of us another chance and we spoke of your grace lord and james spoke of your grace how through your grace um you still give us a chance you let us submit you let us uh, resist and you help us resist the devil lord and you open up so many doors for us and ultimately you uh cleanse us you re- you help us see and realize how dirty we are lord and you cleanse us and let us have that submission towards you let us draw near to you and always remember that the fight will never be over here lord and only with you we can conquer thank you for all that you do for us and we may we praise amen amen